0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. High fidelity is one of those terms that in the uh, 1920s, 30s was a big term among the scientific and music industry. It was their pursuit of being able to create a way to capture and reproduce lifelike like Sound Now, if you've studied the history of that technical area of of our world in the 60s and 70s, hi-fi really was no longer relevant when the stereo technology came out, but hi-fi has remained all the way until now as a branding term for something that is really lifelike. Recently, uh, well, actually, uh, going back, I can remember growing up mowing lawns, mowing a lot of cemeteries had a lot of conversations with dead people always, while I was mowing cemeteries and, uh, and uh, working on the farm. And I, I saved money for like three or four years. See, I was in a competition with my older brother, Mark, who's six years older than me, to get a better stereo than him. And I finally went out and bought it. I bought a really nice stereo, and I actually spent more on my speakers than I did on the whole rest of the peripherals. I bought the nicest speakers I could find, and I remember sitting being, sitting there going, "Wow, I mean, this is so cool. I was a trumpet player and hearing hearing uh, you know some of the greats back then playing. And you could just hear the Christmas, and I remember crispus, crisp crisp." of the sound. And I remember sitting next to my tweeters and studying them and and understanding why my tweeters were better than everybody else. See, I won the competition with my brother, which was the the real point of that whole endeavor. It was worth all the money in the world to beat a brother who's six years older, who's talented in everything. Today, though, TV uh, has kind of taken over, and the term we're using more now is high def, and that came out a few years ago. And have you ever noticed Have you ever noticed that sometimes actors and actresses look a whole lot better in low-def than high-def? I was watching Hallmark movies with my wife, and you know what? Some of them really have a lot of wrinkles that don't show up on low-def, right? I remember a friend of mine, Mark, when uh, high-def was just coming out. Mark spent over $5,000 on a first-generation 720p screen and invited me over to watch the Super Bowl with him, and he would constantly talk. Man, Ross, it is like the greatest. It is all worth the money. It it is so cool to be able to see everything so well. And his number one example of that was he, he kept coming to me saying, Ross, now I can not only see Brett Favre's shadow, I can see the individual stubble on his face. Now understand, and he knew this, I'm a Vikings fan. and That was before Brett Favre was a Viking. So is that supposed to motivate me to see the stubble on Brett Favre's face to buy $5,000 piece of equipment? Uh, Besides, I wanted to ask him, so is the joy of seeing the stubble outweighed by seeing the pimple? I don't know. But clarity in life is really nice, isn't it? It's really nice. Today I want to take a stab to help us, our ears, hear more true and to help our eyes see with more clarity the vision I believe God has for each and every one of us and I believe it's the guiding vision for who we are at Quest. And I hope that the result of today's message is that there'll be something in your heart that will catch a an increased flame of passion and something that will settle in your mind about how you can... Achieve that vision for your life just a little bit more and how we can make a difference and just walk out of here with just a little more focus, a little more hope, a little more action. And let's see what God does. So let's start today briefly by re- revisiting one of the uh, clear, most clear guiding things that God has ever said to us about who we are in the vision of Quest. And it actually goes back to July 13th 2007, almost two years before I became your pastor here. I was living in Oregon, and uh, I had a dream. God gave me a dream. And, uh, and in this dream, I was on the 12th floor of this balcony of a hotel. And I knew that I was looking over this beautiful town. I knew it was in the Midwest. In fact, in the dream, for some reason, I knew I was in Ohio. Now, you've got to understand, I have no relationship connection to Ohio in the past other than until I got here. And I was looking at this town thinking, oh, what a nice town. And then all of a sudden, just like that, the scene changes in the dream. And now it's now it's uh, this big strip mine. It's like a mile or two across and a mile deep. And you've, you've probably seen the pictures of strip mines where they have these long, winding roads coming out of them. This, this, this one had like three winding roads come out of it. And I knew, for some reason I knew, because the edges of the picture still had the town behind it. I knew that God was giving me a glimpse into something He was doing. And something about the heart of some place, the community that he was showing me. And the roads were 100% packed with cars. In fact, if you are one of these guys who loves restoring old cars, this would have been heaven for you. Because they were all like World War II era cars in mint, I mean just perfect, mint pristine condition. And the roads were jam-packed, bumper to bumper, just hundreds and hundreds of cars. And there was no end to the cars coming. They were just constantly trying to get out. And just like that, again, the vision changed again. And it went from cars being a long ways away to being people in those same lines about the distance of me to the second row away. And when that happened, I started thinking, well, I ought to look a little closer. I just remember consciously in the dream thinking, I ought to look a little closer, see what I can observe. And I looked at the people's faces and their skin, and it, Their faces and their skin looked a lot like a really, have you ever seen a really, really bad makeup job on a corpse? I mean, that, or, or like somebody on Ducky's CSI table, NCIS table, you know, I mean, it looked like that. It's just ashen and gray. And I looked a little further and they were all walking, they were all dressed in these nice charcoal gray drab, but really nicely pressed, really nicely put together business suits. And walking along, and I looked a little further, and I don't know why, but but every single one of them had a really bad nose job. I mean, they were really big, deformed nose, and, and I'm not going to go into the details of that, but I, I, looked, I thought that was really weird. and So I started looking at everybody's nose in the vision, and all of a sudden I see some people who had these pierced noses, and out of their nose came, you know, dreams are kind of weird, but just hang with me for a minute. Metaphors are kind of strange sometimes. But uh, out of their nose was this 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 feather, this tie-dyed rainbow colored feather and immediately in the dream I just sensed God saying these people all want out and they're searching for color in life and then God gave me an invitation and said do you want to be a part of something I'm already doing not I'm bringing not me I'm bringing but something I'm already doing in Ohio to bring my color to an entire community of people and I said yes and the dream ended and I woke up knowing I had been visited by God. Now, I know some of you may struggle a little bit with dreams. God speaks to us in dreams. The Bible is full of talking to us about that. One of the most beautiful confirmations of that dream came 22 months later. It was May of 2009. I had accepted the position here. We were in the process of wrapping things up in Oregon, packing. And my brother Mark and his wife Renee and a couple of my nieces were living in Redding in California, uh, at least part-time, kind of commuting from Denver, kind of a weird thing. And we decided to go visit him in Redding, California, since we were moving all the way out here. We didn't know the next time we'd see him. So we drove down there and saw him. And my my sister-in-law, Renee, has got a real art side to her, kind of an artistic side to her. And a lot of times, she will use art in her relationship with God. So what she'll do a lot of times is she'll sit down and, and just pray and say, God, show me a picture. And then she'll paint the picture. And then when she gets done painting the picture, she'll say, God, who's this for? And sometimes it's for her, and he's speaking to her. Sometimes it's for a family member. Sometimes it's for somebody else. And then she'll say, "Well, what does it mean?" And uh, we came to visit him, and sat down with him. And she explained how she'd been doing this. And she she says, "I, I painted this picture about a week ago, and I and God said it was for you." And and then she said, "I, I prayed and asked God what it was for." And she said, "It was what it meant." And she said, "I, I painted this." And this is for you because God's making you to bring color where you're going in Ohio. It was an amazingly beautiful, beautiful confirmation of God's sense of leading to be able to help us leave a place we dearly loved and come to a new place. And God spoke tremendously in that. I actually want to encourage those of you here who are artistic to allow God to take that gift in your life and begin to not only speak through you to others, but to speak to you for yourself as well, whether it's art, whether it's painting, or whether it's drawing, or whether it's poetry, or whether it's prose, or whether it's music, or whether it's photography. I, I heard between between services about somebody being touched through photography just this past week, and, and or video. That you would allow God to... Be real to you in that area, in fact, I want to invite you to be a part of the September Transformation service at the end of the month because Melissa and her is forming a team to put together just kind of experiments to help us learn to let God be a part of that in our life. so I want to invite you to be a part of that but let's let's let 's go back so the dream the dream has been really formative in who we are and how we're doing ministry here, but the dream is really just simply this. It's about bringing real, vibrant, colorful life change to our lives and through us to change an endless number of people around us. And that's what God's invitation is. And when I think about that, I have to ask myself the question, and maybe maybe you ask yourself this question as well. What brings real change? I mean, what brings real change in yourself? Because we all know we've been stuck in some areas of our life for a really long time, and we have a hard time getting over it, right? We can all probably point out an area in our life. And what, what brings real change to the people around you that you love, that you work with, that you care, that you wish would change, but they seem to never do? What brings real change? And What brings change to our culture, our nation, our world? see, all too often I think we've failed to really understand the answer to that question as people who follow Christ, as the church. And I think we've tried so many things that don't work. And I fear actually, I fear actually that much of the church in the U.S. is about to fail again in bringing really culture-transforming, life-transforming, positive change See, the answer for much of the church for bringing change in the 80s and 90s, if you're you're that old and can go back that far, for those of you that aren't that old, this is a history lesson. Enjoy history. The 80s and 90s, it was all about let's get involved in politics, right? So we had had, uh, 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 Christian right-wing movements and Christian left-wing movements trying to get involved in politics and putting forward their biblical idea of social and moral rightness. Correctness, what they thought the Bible said to inform those things. And, and we can clearly probably go back and say there were good things that came out of all that, okay? But let's put that aside for a second, the good things that did come out. That said, let me ask you some questions. Is our government and are the laws today restoring the dignity of people from poverty more than they did years ago? Are more... People more prosperous today in our nation than they were years ago? Are we moving our culture through that legislative process to be a, a stronger morality that creates healthy families and a safer society to raise kids in? You see, I think that most of us can quickly say, based upon the statistics and based upon our own personal perception, that. None of those questions could be answered yes. They'd all be answered no. But things aren't further. So the church in the mid-90s, early 2000s shifted again in the way they wanted to uh capture culture and we're a part of that. We've all experienced that they moved from being a little more formal to more casual, to less churchy, to be more creative, to use video and lights and and music and change forms of communication and use music that we all understood that we listened to during the daily time and and just do more fun things. And and did that bring more people back to church? For a time, did that change some people's lives? Sure. Every one of these movements God's gracious gracious enough through whatever we do to change people's lives. But the reality is that from my own personal experience and from the studies I've read over and over again over the last 15 years and you got to understand, I mean, this is this movement of creativity and casualness and video, that was part of my experience in the early 90s in the church that I was a part of that grew that allowed me to actually even get enough credibility to become a consultant to other churches. I, I, I know that. I know the power of that in that setting. And yet the studies in my own personal experience say that the creative entertainment value in attracting people doesn't yield real lasting change at all. What it yields is consumers who sit and they raise the bar and keep raising the bar higher and higher, expecting more, and you know what? Pretty soon the church is not going to be able to compete, and it doesn't take long for the church not to be able to compete with Hollywood and with everybody else in terms of the creative quality. In fact, you know, um, one thing we often overlook That's one of the biggest arguments in how we should do church and why we should be creative and why we should increase the the entertainment value is the whole departure of the younger generation from church. But over the last 20 years, with all the creativity, with everything we've done, with the amazing stuff that has gone forward, and I think it's fine and good to actually try to communicate that way, but with all of that going forward, we have not even scratched the level of departure of youth from their faith within two years after high school. The rate is still the same, and yet we still try to argue that in order to reach the younger generation, we need to do this. We've been doing it for 20 years, and it hasn't made a difference at all in the departure of youth from the church. So in the early 2000s to mid-2000s, the sea of the church and how we wanted to influence culture and how we as people, as Christians and followers of Christ, wanted to influence the culture changed again and still lasts to today into something we're calling the social justice movement. And so we've got books written about social justice. We've got books written about city reaching and social justice. We've got church and community partnerships going on to clean up our schools and fight human trafficking and deal with poverty and and deal with abuse and heal people from abuse. And those are all things that are so a part of the gospel message that we should be so desperately passionate about being involved in those things. They should break our heart. And we are involved. That's one of the reasons we're doing the warm patio night today, tonight and other things that we do. But what I see happening in a vast majority of the churches who are a part of the social justice movement is the same path that these two other movements were on that didn't bring any lasting, significant change see, because all three of these movements have one thing in common. In fact, uh, all three of these movements plus the cru- tent crusade and big crusade movements before that, they all have one thing in common, one thing that does not get at the heart of lasting change. And it's this, that they're primarily activity, they're primarily event-oriented, they're primarily educational movements, trying to get people to do big events to reach the masses And that's what they are. And that simply isn't deep enough to bring the real change that we all long for and the widespread cultural change that we want. See, the political rallies and marketing strategies, communication movements haven't brought lasting change. The creative worship events haven't brought lasting change. In fact, the real change that the creative worship movement has brought is that it's just hastened the decline of the smaller unhealthy churches and the growth of the larger churches. But every study indicates that other than I think last time I checked about two years ago, there's only been one county in all of the United States where the percentage of christians actually increased and we've been about this for 20 years and we think that's going to be the answer to bring change and yet it hasn't brought change and every study into how well we as followers of christ really understand our faith and really understand who god is and want to follow him every study indicates that it hasn't made deeper or better disciples on any front and it's been going on for 20 years So the question is, what really brings change? And why is the change that we're doing and being a part of so ineffective? Well, the dream God gave about quest indicates some reasons why. In that dream from God, let me ask you the question, what was lacking in that dream? Well, there was order in the dream. That wasn't lacking. There was professionalism and there was polish in that dream. That wasn't lacking. There was success in that dream. That was not lacking. There was effective leadership and communication going on in that dream. None of those things were lacking in that dream. What was lacking was that hearts were not fully alive. Okay, for those of you who like zombie stuff, it was a zombie God-given zombie dream. I mean, that's really what it was. And that was a depiction of who we are in many ways. There's no life, no heart. There was no understanding of the why of life and what really brings happiness, what really brings joy, what really brings true beauty to life. And Jesus is always pretty incisive. In Matthew 13, he's kind of incisive and maybe a bit blunt in addressing this issue. And he says it this way. He says, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. You see, Jesus is addressing a common problem each and every one of us face. You and I, we all face it. And the question he's really addressing is, how do we grow out of our blind spots? Because Jesus in this text is offering healing. He's offering everything they ever wanted. They can't see it. They're blind to it. I struggle with blind spots, don't you? Don't we all struggle with blind spots? Don't we get frustrated by them? Sometimes we feel them, but we can't nail it down. We can't quite catch and understand why we can't change this area of our life. You know, see, people in the dream that God gave about quest, they were all longing for something more. But they were blind to it. And yet the longing was there. It was driving them. It was stirring them. Sometimes our blindness is caused by hardness. And the question Jesus is posing us to us almost directly in this passage is, how do we live free of the calluses that have grown over our hearts? And because of how we've decided we need to be or how we need to respond in order to be accepted or successful or, or not experience some negative consequences. In, in what areas of your life do you find yourself settling for the sadness or disappointment of what is or has been, rather than continuing to walk in the joy and the passion of a dream for something better? What parts of you used to be joyful and almost playfully alive that you've allowed to die? Because for some reason, you're now more focused or or more busy or you're focused on being successful or or you just don't have time for it and it just, just doesn't fit anymore. See, I wrestle with this all the time. I wrestle with it me with it with with it for me personally. How do I personally become unstuck in some areas and grow? And I wrestle with it as a parent. How do I help my kids see that their way of thinking about life or their way of thinking about their peers or their circumstance right now if they just thought about it this way it, w- it would bring so much more freedom in it. you get into these tussles as parents trying to help them see their blind spots and see how life can be so much better I saw it in leadership consulting all the time working with, ch- working with pastors and I kept, looking, kept thinking how can I help them see their blind spots so that they can stop undermining themselves all the time and flourish in the dream that they really have for what God's called them to do you see it in counseling. Even over coffee cup counseling that you guys do with friends, you see it all the time. You, you sit there and think, how can I help this person see how wonderfully made and how gifted they are instead of seeing themselves through the lens of, of, of depression or the filters of the, the failure or the harsh criticism or the te- teasing or abuse they've received in the past. You see, Jesus is getting at the point here when He says that touching the heart of a person so that they can understand, it's touching the heart that brings healing and change. And that's the reason when we do our social justice stuff, where we're trying to minister to the poor through things like Quest Care, that we want to approach it with not just a handout, but a hand up, to borrow Warm's key guiding phrase for the way they do ministry. Because really our heart passion when we get involved in stuff like that is what we really want to see is we want to see this person empowered. We want to see them more confident. We want to watch them find the joy of taking initiative to learn new things, to to stand on their own and experience the dignity of that again. Right? And when we see somebody abused, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, it doesn't matter what kind of abuse, when we see somebody abused, what we really want is we want to see them free to love who God made them to be because we see the beauty of that. We want them to accept the peace and the security of the safe relationships around them. But yet so many times when we're hurt or we're addicted to something, we we run and we distance ourselves from the very safe relationships that we need. But it's seeing those types of life transformation. That's what brings us joy in life. That's what brings us passion and color to life you know when i when I talk about stuff like this there's a story that Wendy brings up all the time that i'm sure will be one of those stories i 'll hear about another thousand times before you know before we die it's one of those stories that i'll, I'll you know you want to say okay that story again, except that it's so beautiful there's a, a gal from her past many years ago who who was caught up in sexual addiction and prostituting herself who because of of people, including my wife, but other people who walked alongside her through all that just so graciously, so patiently for so many years has now experienced so much healing. She's happily married and a happy mother of several kids, and it's just a beautiful story of the healing that she's had in her life because people walked with her. You know, what changes blind spots? What changes our hearts? It's not events. I mean, There's a little bit sometimes that can happen. It's not the aid that we hand out when somebody's in need, although that sure blesses people, and maybe there's a little bit of that factor in some of the change. It's certainly not the motivational speeches that we hear. I mean, come on. We all know the motivational speeches. We've heard them, and we give them every time somebody's down around us. If there's somebody down around us, how many times are we going to say, oh, failure is just a part of the way to success. It's just part of the process to success. Uh, Just persevere and we'll hang with you and you'll be okay. I mean, we've got all the motivational speeches down. We've heard them millions of times. We can all repeat every single one of them. The only reason we like a motivational speech is because somebody says it really well and it inspires us about something we already know. But we know that stuff, right? Has it really changed our lives? When I look at the change in my life, the big changes, you know, the confidence in who God made me to be, It didn't stick because of people giving me motivational speeches and pep talks. It stuck because of people like Ted and Dr. Carpenter walking with me through life, through difficult times for four years. In relationships where they spoke belief into me, they spoke grace into me, and they also, when I needed it, they spoke truthfully to me about weaknesses. But it was relationships. I can look at the time uh, that I began to really have a breakthrough in trusting God's timing for change or timing for fulfilling things that He would promised me in my life. I mean, my wife will tell you from 20 on, I had a midlife crisis every six months, and I just was never patient with anything. But it, it was this difficult time in life and ministry where Paul and Bob walked with me prayed with me, stuck with me, encouraged me, spoke into my life, loved me enough to stay with me and teach me and help me be faithful where I was with a godly attitude until God made it so clear it was per- the perfect timing was there. In fact, as I was reviewing this uh, for the dream even that, that, that God gave, I, I was going through my journal and I just had to write, Bob, another thank you letter this last week because of the impact he's had. In my 11 years in Oregon, I can name people like Mike and Chris and David and Marty and Tammy and Gary, and and I could go on and on all day probably about how they made an impact. I could talk to you about the richness of relationship that God has blessed me with here, and I could talk to you about Phil and Melissa and Jeremy, and I could talk to you about Terry Jeffries and so many others. If I actually went on, this would end up being a sermon like the first nine books, the first nine chapters of Chronicles where it's all genealogy, okay? I mean, I just feel so tremendously blessed with relationships, the Snowdens, so many people who have just greatly impacted my life and touched me at the heart level and helped me change. You see, change happens because somebody touches our heart. And our heart is only touched in relationship. It's not touched by a motivational speech. It's not touched by an event We see this whole relationship emphasis all throughout the Bible. We've talked many times about how God demonstrates it in the Trinity Himself. We've talked about how Jesus coming in the flesh demonstrates it to us, about His pursuit of us. We've talked about how Jesus discipled His early disciples, and He did it all living together in relationship with them, believing in them even when they were miserable failures, and loving them and being patient and sticking with them. We see it in the early church. And the early church describes its success as being contingent upon this. It says the success was they met daily, in the house to house, throughout the week. They met in small groups and they gathered regularly together for teaching and for worship as a church. And then it gets to the exciting phrase that really describes what it means to bring color to life for people and it's the phrase that we would all love if we could just live in this we would just all die to be able to live in this and it says and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And what does saved mean? When we look at the stories of the Bible, saved means this guy over here who couldn't walk was healed. This person over here who was a leper got healed and could be restored to his family. This person who was so ashamed that he had been cut off from all of his family and all of his people was now healed of that sin and saved. And the sin was gone. The guilt and shame was gone. I mean, if we could just see the faces and the stories of what saved means. Our blood would boil with excitement. And we would want this for ourselves and we'd want to share this because this is what the stuff of life is all about. The writer of Hebrews addresses this in three profound verses. But in the context before and after these verses, the writer of Hebrews is talking about how we live full in the freedom and the beauty of God. And then after these verses, he goes on to say, how do we persevere so we stay in this vibrant, colorful, full life and not become hard? And then he says this, which is the hinge pin of what all he's saying. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. You see, relationships are the mission. We've got it on there, but it's the mission in the Bible. Relationships are the mission. Life and happiness are all about relationships. Even the secular studies show this. Happiness psychology. Every study you read about the study of happiness and psychology says between 40 and 70 percent of our happiness is dictated by the quality of our relationships. It has nothing to do with our genetics, it has nothing to do, little to do with our job situation. 40 to 70 percent is all about relationships. The majority is that. There was even a study that came out this last month from the University of that one up north that we won't name. Their Institute of Social Research, where they did this study, this long term study of the effects of Facebook on happiness. Did anybody read that? Yeah, they pulsed people hourly throughout the day to select how happy they felt. And the more, it showed clear correlation. The more time they spent on Facebook, the more unhappy they were. And the more time they spent in real relationship with other people, the happier they were. I mean, it just proves what Jesus is trying to lead us into in this. So we've talked about how this focuses our social justice efforts, how through Quest Care, we've talked about it regularly, how we don't, through Quest Care, serve walk-ins. We serve our own people, and we want to serve the people you're in relationship with. Why? Because, Because I want deep change. And deep change happens through relationships. It doesn't happen through a quick handout. It doesn't happen through distance. It happens through us being willing to get close to people. Us being willing to walk with people individually, maybe for years, before their heart changes. Because sometimes the hardness of our hearts takes that long for us to trust that somebody really, really loves and cares for us. Dusty and the team, can you guys come? You know, if we want to make a difference in this, I want to ask you two questions as we reorient back to our normal schedule in the fall with the start of school and kids in vacation and vacation's mostly done. Let me ask you two questions. Who are the three people in your life? Who are the three people in your life who help you stay connected to God? Who help you keep your heart soft? who are intentional in that relationship with you? Be careful. We can probably all answer that we have those three people, but the reality is for many of us, the three people we're thinking about aren't very intentional about that, and it doesn't happen very often in our life. So who are the people who are regularly intentional? If you don't have those people, then I want you to commit to finding and getting involved in a quest group so that you begin to put yourself in a place where there is intentionality and where there are people who are going to be there with you. And I don't want you to stay committed to the quest group only if the discussion is just really interesting. I hope the discussions are interesting most of the time, but I want you to stay committed because of the relationships. And second, I want to ask you another question. Who are the three people in your life who are unchurched who are far from God or who are caught in just a religious idea of who God is that they are constantly living under a sense of burden and guilt and condemnation and performance. Who are those three people in your life that you're intentionally building a relationship with? That you're seeking to love them and speak life into them? That you're inviting them to see God as a God who pursues them, not as an angry God in the sky who they have to perform for? But you're inviting them into that and you're showing them that kind of love by your pursuit of them because you're being like Jesus to them. If we can live this way... See, it's real tempting. It's real tempting for us to get focused on big events and other things to try to get the masses to come in. But if we'll focus on relationship, if we're patient enough to be intentional about this, then a couple years from now, we will be able to see massive change in our own hearts. And we will see through the multiplication of the relationships that each and every one of you have, God bringing great blessing and greater change than we can ever imagine. Lord, I ask that you would come and that you would speak to each one of us about the names that you have for us, and I ask that you would speak to each and every one of us about our hopes and our dreams right now. And as we worship you now and continue to worship you, that you would come and visit us. And help us to live this, that we could see widespread personal change and widespread cultural change because we touch people's hearts and we do that in relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go questorg